Um, but if I haven't met you, my name is Andrew Self, and I'm the associate pastor here. I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning, whether you have been here for a while or whether this is your first Sunday. I'm, I'm so thankful and glad uh, that you are here worshiping Jesus with us this morning. Currently, our church is in this, this long big, deep project of going through the book of Exodus. We're going to be spending in total 40 weeks in the book of Exodus. So we're looking at a lot of details, a lot of rich history, a lot of miracles, a lot of seeing God at work in the life of his people and bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and taking them to the promised land. We're in this middle part of Exodus, right? We're in this middle part where it's super detailed. There's descriptions about what's to be used. There's descriptions about what is not to be used. There are descriptions about how to do certain things. And it's very laborsome. It's very tiring. I know some of you are probably tired of all the details in Exodus. You're tired of all the history lessons. You, you're saying, I understand that context is important, but uh, can we just do something else for a little bit? And so uh, we're in another chapter, another two chapters in particular, Exodus 28 and 29, where there is a heck of a lot of details. There is a ton of descriptions. There's a ton of words that are weird. There's a ton of stuff that we don't understand as modern people. Every detail that we find in God's word, every detail that we find in the book of Exodus is important. Every description that, that Yahweh gave to Moses is important for you and I. Right? It's not, it wasn't just important for the Jews way back in the day, but it's important for you and I as New Testament Christians, as modern-day believers in the God of the universe. And it's important because of this. All scripture leads us and takes us to Jesus. If that's true, then these details are important. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to look at everything exhaustively in Exodus 28 and 29. Right? If, you, if you've been a part of Frontier for a, quite a while, you know our normative practice is to stand up and to read a chunk of Scripture and then to go into uh, the, the exegesis and the exposition of that. This morning we're gonna, I'm going to try to approach it a little bit differently, which is difficult for me because my skill level is about right here and the skill level needed to do a lot of work here is about right here. So I, I've, you can ask Tracy, I have been racking my brains on how to preach this, this passage well. I've come out of my office, and by office I mean a closet that has a desk in it, and I've come out and you know, let out sighs and, and laments because I don't know what to do. I, wanna, I like to focus on all the details of Scripture, but I can't do that this morning, and that irritates me and frustrates me. So what I want to do is hone in on a, on a few key elements of this text and, and do that to stir up our imaginations to stir up our affections so that we can see how it leads us to Christ. Because even in these descriptions in Exodus 28 and 29, we see how it leads us to Christ. And so I've got a, a couple of selected readings here that we're going to go through from these two chapters. And what I, what I want you to do is whenever we are looking at a particular word or a particular garment of, of the high priest that we're going to look at, I want you to, to imagine in your mind, how does this lead me to Jesus? How does this, how does this lead me to see the beauty of Christ and his role in sitting at the right hand of the Father. This can be important for us, right? If we, if we don't have that grid, then this is going to be a boring and dull sermon for the first 15 minutes, right? But use your imaginations. Use your minds to, and ask God to say, okay, God, as I look at this thing that I don't, I'm not really sure what it is, and it's a weird word, and it's hard to pronounce, use this thing, use the description of this thing to lead me to your son Jesus so I can worship him, so that I can see his beauty, so we're, it's going to require some work on your part and on my part this morning. Last week, Cole uh, walked us through the tabernacle. Why, why a certain elements in the tabernacle were there? Why did God command that they be created in, in such, a, such a way? Because God, in the, creating the tabernacle, is showing Israel that, Israel, I am present with you. I'm not this distant God that you have to come and appease, but I am dwelling with you. I'm putting my tent in the middle of all of your tents. I'm putting my presence in the middle of your presence. 
And so that's super important for us to understand. Right? Cole connected the New Testament and the Old Testament for us, and we got to see the beauty of God living with his people and dwelling with his people. So can anyone just roll up into the Holy of Holies that we looked at last week? Can anyone just roll up and touch the ark? Can anyone just roll up in there and do whatever they want? And the answer to that is no. There had to be someone who was set apart for the task of entering into the Holy of Holies. There had to be this certain class of people that were consecrated for the task of making sacrifices and mediating and interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. Nobody could just walk up in there. In fact, in Leviticus, you see a couple of homies who walked up in there real casually, and it didn't end well for them. Right? They got struck down. They got, they got wrecked. And so God is, in this chapter, is giving descriptions on who is going to be the first line of priests. In this text, God is, is laying out the instructions for what they are to wear and why they are to wear these certain things. And then how these, these, these group of men who are going to intercede and mediate on behalf of Israel how they were to be consecrated, how they were to be brought into their particular role as the priesthood. So we're going to do that, and we're going to see how that points us to Jesus. Right? We're going to be dropping some breadcrumbs along the way. But the first passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is Exodus 28, and we're going to look at verse 1. So who are the priests? Who were these men? Well, Exodus 28, 1 says, Then bring near to you, so Yahweh talking to Moses here, Moses, bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. From among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar. Right, so the, this is who the first line of priests were. You had Aaron, who was Moses' brother. If you remember, several chapters back, Yahweh comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to be my guy. You're going to be my messenger. You're going to be my prophet. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, he throws a little fit. He says, you know, I'm not really good for that. And then God gets mad at him, kindles his anger towards him, and, and God says, Moses, don't you have a brother whose name is Aaron? Moses, yeah, I do. Okay, well, I'm going to send your brother Aaron to you, Moses, and he's going to be glad to see you. I'm going to bring him to you, and he is going to be your mouthpiece. Just like I intended you to be my, my mouthpiece and my mediator and my sole intercessor, you, Aaron is going to serve that task for you. This is, this is important because up until this point in biblical history, up until this point in the people of Israel and God working through human representatives, God was working through one representative at the time. That was God's, that was his normative practice, to work through Adam, to work through Abraham and Noah and Jacob and Joseph. So up until this point, we have this split now where some other dudes need to be brought into the picture. And so Aaron gets brought into the picture and you now have the Aaronic priesthood. You have this priestly class of people whose sole job and responsibility in life was to intercede on behalf of Israel and on behalf of God to Israel and to mediate. That was their role. So this was, this was an act of mercy of, of God sending Aaron to Moses. And so it's important for us to understand, okay, here is someone, somebody and some people who were set apart for a certain task. And to, to distinguish Right, to distinguish this, this group of people and, and primarily to distinguish the high priest from the rest of the priests who are, were already distinguished from the rest of the people of Israel, God was going to give them some, some cute little outfit, outfits to wear. He was going to give them some stuff. Right? Why is this important? Well, it identifies the high priest from among the people. And what we're going to see here is there's some theological truths that are being telegraphed and are being imaged in these garments. From head to toe, what was going on? This was a, a physical representation of 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 Yahweh interacting with Israel and of Israel intera interacting with, with Yahweh. 
So why should we care about what we're going to read here? Why should we care about what they wore? Like, I don't care what, what you're wearing today, so let alone, Andrew, why should I care about what some guys wore a long time ago? Well, it's because it's communicating something to us. So in, in uh, Exodus 28, starting in verse 2, we see this. Moses, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with my spirit of whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. So God was telling is telling Moses, Moses, I want you to go out and get the skillful laborers, right? We, we, it's easy to forget this, but that uh, these Jewish people, were, they were enslaved, and they weren't just like building pyramids. They were people who were, who were sewing and, and doing tapestry work. There were people who were, who were blacksmiths. There were people who were fashioning sculptures. There were people who were fashioning all sorts of things. They were being used in Egypt to craft these items of beauty for the worship of the gods of Egypt. And so this wasn't just Bart down the street who, who ha- owned a couple of tools who was being brought into the picture here. This is, wasn't just Sally who had a sewing kit. This, these were skillful people. God wanted, he, he cared about the details, and so he wanted people who were detail-oriented, who knew what to do. And he says, I filled my spirit. I filled them with a spirit of skill. That's really interesting. We'll look at some more of that stuff later on in Exodus. But they were, these people were being called forth to make garments for Aaron and for his sons so that they would be consecrated. So this clothing would show a distinction, a, a difference, that they were called out for this work of, of priests and they were, it was supposed to be for glory and for beauty. So this wasn't just like some, some clothing that was supposed to be like, oh, yeah, this is just regular clothing. No, this clothing was important. It was glorious. It was beautiful. And these, this, these garments that we're going to look at, they weren't just, you weren't just wearing them out to the, to the track meet, right? They were only used for priestly duties. They were only used for this. You know, you've got the fine china in your home. You don't just break out the fine, fine china from when just some random person comes over for dinner. Maybe you do, and I will commend you on that. But usually when you break out the fine china, it's for a, a distinguished guest. It's for someone of honor. And so God, in telling Moses to bring about these people, to create these garments, it's for his use. It's not for whatever the priests wanted to do. It was for y- use in the, in the tabernacle because the tabernacle was different. And even within inside the tabernacle, there was a space that was different. There's two words that are important to, to know when we look at some of these, these, um, these pieces of Exodus, and that's sacred space. So it's this space that is different. You've got the tabernacle, and that's sacred in and of itself. And then in that, you've got the Holy of Holies. This was a sacred place. You didn't walk up in there whenever you wanted to. You didn't dilly-dally around in the Holy of Holies. You didn't wear whatever you wanted to wear in the Holy of Holies. Yahweh is, is calling these people together to create these garments for the priest and for the high priest so that they were reminded that they were being called to be in Yahweh's service on his terms, not on their terms, but on his terms. Aaron would wear these garments into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifices, to to mediate on behalf of Israel, and these garments had certain theological truths. So there's there's six pieces of the outer garment, uh, but we're, we're going to look at just a handful of them this morning. I don't know, Carl, do I have that graphic in there? Yeah, oh, here. Yeah, this was uh, the best I could do. Uh, by best I could do, best I could find on, on Google search. But that gives you a little picture. So you've got, you've got uh, a breast piece. You have an ephod. You have a robe. 
a coat, a turban, and a sash. So this was stuff that the high priest was going to wear when he would go into the Holy of Holies. And the, the rest of the priests, they didn't get to wear this. This was for the high priest alone. So let's l- we're going to look at three pieces that I, I find most uh, provocative and, and the ones that jump off the, the pages of Scripture the most. So the first thing we're going to look at is the ephod. In Exodus 28.5, we see this about the ephod. It says, They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twine linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, Six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And for Aaron, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders continually uh, for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains of the settings. That's a lot of detail there, right? This is like when somebody when you ask somebody what kind of new clothes you bought, and they just go on about all of the articles of clothing. That's what God's doing right now. Filigrees, what is that? An ephod, what is that? What are we talking about, these two onyx stones? So this is, I know it's detailed. I know it's wordy. I know it's confusing to, to our minds and our ears in 2019. But there's something really incredible going on that leads us to Jesus. Right? There's something really incredible going on here. So you have this ephod. It's this, this thing that goes over the outer, some of the outer garments, and the breastplate is, is above the ephod. But this ephod is considered one of the more holy, holy of, the, of the garments. And it had these shoulder pads, right? So it's got these shoulder pads on it. And on top of these shoulder pads, you have these two onyx stones. And on one side of the onyx stones, you have six of the names of the tribes of Israel. In case you didn't know, there's 12 tribes, okay? So six plus six equals 12. So six on one side, six on the other side, in order of the, the, the birth of each of, those, each of those sons of Israel. So what, what, what should we see going on here, right? You should be able to pick up on this breadcrumb and see how this kind of points us to Christ here for a second, right? So in your imagination, just build up this, this tension of looking at what, these, what the high priest wore. Let's look at this. So that he's got the names of Israel on his shoulders, literally and metaphorically. So this is, this is beautiful. Every time the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, every time the high priest was doing his priestly duties, he was bearing the weight of Israel on his shoulders. He was bearing the weight of Israel on his shoulders. He's walking in there thinking about the sins that that Israelites had committed. He's walking in there thinking about the things that the Israelites had left undone that they were supposed to do. He's walking in there to make atonement for sins and knows that he's about to have to spill blood so that there could be forgiveness of sins. He is bearing the weight of Israel on his shoulders. Can you uh, imagine the gravity that that high priest felt? Can you imagine the weight of, of knowing all that was going on and that someone had to carry this weight? The high priest, I, I can't imagine as he would be preparing to do his priestly tasks, thinking about what I do is not just for me. What I do is for my people. 
I'm, I'm going in to encounter the holy God, the God of gods, the God of Israel. I'm going in here to, to do business for my people. I'm willing to bet he probably wasn't chipper when he was doing that. He felt the weight of what was going on in that moment, this holy moment where he was going in and interceding on behalf of his people, mediating between God and, and the people of Israel. Because somebody had to do that. Because somebody couldn't, uh, the average person wasn't just strolling up in there and communicating with God because they were, they were unclean. Right? We've got this, there's literally been a book written about it, right, Leviticus. We've got a book on the laws. We've got a book on what's going on in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. We've got all that going on because the people were impure. The people were dirty. That's why you got all those weird texts about stuff that comes out of you and why you can't go in there for seven days and why you've got to wear certain things and why you have to have all these ceremonial washings, right? It's to, it's to communicate. It wasn't just the fact that they were dirty. It was to communicate the fact that you need someone to go in on your behalf. You need someone who is continually and ritually cleansing themselves so they can go in and mediate on your behalf before the Lord. This is what, the, what was going through the high priest's mind. I am set apart for this task, and I am imperfect as well. The high priest had to offer up sacrifices for himself, but he was bearing the weight of Israel on his shoulders as he was going into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice, to give up offerings, right? So that's, that, should, that should start to tickle your gospel-centered uh, feelings there, right? You should be like, okay, I know what's going on here. I can see where you're going to go. We're not going to go there yet, though. The second thing we're going to look at, the breast piece. The breast piece. So we looked at the ephod. Now we're going to look at the breast piece. Starting at verse 15, it says, You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns. And fine twine linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it you shall set in it four rows of stones. All right, here we're going to go some, some more words, some more stuff that we have no idea what it is for most of it. A row of sardius, topaz, and a carbuncle shall be the first row. And on the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold and, and rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front and above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Right, get this. This is, this is really cool. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put in the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So the ephod 
He, he's wearing it on his shoulders. He's bearing the weight of the people of Israel on his shoulders. And now this breast piece is to remind is to remind the high priest, is to remind the people, and is to be a sign before the Lord that, that the people of Israel were on the heart of the high priest. So he wasn't just in there physically bearing the weight, but he was bringing on this emotional weight of the people of Israel before Yahweh. Can you imagine what it must be like to enter into the Holy of Holies where things are as they are supposed to be? It's, it's to be a reminder of, hey, God had intended to dwell with his people from the beginning where heaven and earth overlapped. He walks in there and sees all these things that trigger his, his theological imagination to remind him this is how the world is supposed to be. Things are to be perfectly ordered. There is to be no chaos. There is to be no sickness. There is to be no death. There is to be no impurity. But he walks in there feeling the weight of his people's continual rebellion. He walks in there feeling and bearing on his heart the, the sickness and the corruption of the people of Israel. And he had to go in there before the Lord and encounter the Lord and say, Lord, forgive our people. Forgive my people. Forgive the people who you have made a covenant with. He would go in there and spill blood so that the people would be forgiven. Things would be put right. The clock would be set back, as it were. He's bearing the weight, and he's feeling the weight of the people of Israel. They're on his heart. This is, these details are so important because it's communicating a, a reality of what's going on, and it's leading us to a future reality that is to come. And the next piece that we're going to look at of the priestly garments, we told you we're just going to look at three of six, but the next one is the turban. The turban, verse 36 says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue, and it shall be in, on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. All right, ephod. He's bearing the weight of Israel, bearing the names of Israel on his shoulders, the breastpiece. He's bearing the names and the, and, the, and the weight of Israel on his heart. And now we've got the turban, right? We've got this, this turban, and on this turban we've got this gold plaque that says, Holy to the Lord. So Aaron and the high priest was bearing the weight of Israel on his shoulders. He was bearing the weight of Israel on his heart, and now he's bearing the weight of Israel on his head. Shoulders, heart, and head on all of these things is a reminder that God's people were not as they were to be. But God still wanted to be in this loving relationship with them. He still wanted them as his people. He was not going to fail them. And so something had to be done to keep them in a right relationship with, with their God. And so Aaron would walk in with this plaque on his head that says, Holy to the Lord, so that in case someone who had given a holy gift to God, in case there was something messed up there, in case a prayer wasn't prayed, in case a ritual wasn't done, he was going before them and say. Holy to the Lord. Lord, we want you to, to make something of this because we are a messed up people and we need your forgiveness. Aaron is bearing the guilt of things that were done. Aaron is bearing the guilt of things that were left undone so he could take that to Yahweh and make a sacrifice so that forgiveness of sins would be granted. This, is, this, is, this should be queuing us up right for that gospel-centered home run swing, right? This is building us up for that Christology moment. We're not there yet. So do these priests, is, is just, the, just the way that they would wear these clothes, just getting a new wardrobe, did that in and of itself consecrate them? In a way, but primarily no. They had to, something had to be done so that they could be set apart for this task. Right? You've got that word holy, which means set apart other than. And so something, they had to go through some sort of a process here to be set apart for the task of 
of serving Yahweh and interceding for the people in their roles as priests. So in Exodus 29, this is where we see uh, a lot of really weird stuff about how they were to be consecrated, how they were to be ordained. And I like the weird stuff, but we don't have enough time to do that this morning. So we're going to look at a selected piece here. Uh, Exodus 29, starting in verse 1, says, Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, they may ser- so that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened uh, wafers smeared with oil. So get, get a snack ready. Um, let's see here. I lost my place with my joke. All right. Uh, you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the next basket. And bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe and the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and, and gird him with, skillfully, with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall take, set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head anoint and anointing him. You shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be a statute forever. Thus, thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. Later on in Exodus 29, you're going to see that they're going to be killing these rams every morning and every night, every morning, every night. Day after day, they were doing this. They were sacrificing. Blood was flowing. And this was to to keep things holy. So you've got this picture here of Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons and they're at the entrance of the tent of meeting And before they can enter into the tent of meeting, innocent blood had to be shed to purify them, to make them clean. Like we'd look later on here in uh, Exodus 29, and there's weird stuff about taking blood from from the ram and putting it on the right earlobe, on the right thumb, and on the right big toe. That's weird. It was part of a, a, they believed it was like a ritual cleansing that was cleansed their their skin from from any defilement to heal uh, leprosy or things like that. So the picture here is, all of who you are needs to be set apart. All of who you are needs to be sanctified so that you can enter into the presence of Yahweh. Before, any, before you can come in and, and commune with me and talk with me, all of who you are needs to be made right. All of who you are needs to be made as you were supposed to have been made. This is amazing. This, this innocent blood is being shed to cover the sins of the priest before they're able to go in and do the thing that God had set them out for. This should point us to, to Jesus, right? This should point us to, as New Testament Christians, all cylinders should be firing here of seeing the high priest bear the, the names of Israel on their shoulders, bear the names of Israel on his heart, bear the names of Israel on his head. That should all be firing off and, and screaming to us, this points us to Jesus. This points us to Jesus. This is teeing us up to talk about Jesus and to think about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament was not just for that particular time. It was but it points to Jesus ultimately. It shows us that something truer and better is to come, that there is going to be a substance that is going to come that, that right now we just see the shadow of. And so as New Testament believers, we, can, we get to look at the high priest and the beauty and glory of his garments and all the things that had to be done to him, not that he did to himself, but done to him so that he could enter into the holy place, so that he could enter into that sacred space. This is like Jesus for us. 
Jesus is our great high priest, right? He's our great high priest. But there's, the, there's a distinction here, though, right? Why did the priesthood end? Why did things end? Well, priests, they were men, and so they would die, thus ending their rule as a pr- high priest. And so you had to bring in another one and another one and another one. But Jesus' reign as the high priest never ends. It never ends. He is different than, and better than the great high priest because his mediation between us and between God, it never ends because he never dies. We're going to look at Hebrews, a, a short passage from Hebrews that, that is beautiful, but we're, we're going to go there in just a second. Just like the high priest, Jesus bore us on his shoulders. As Jesus walked up the hill to be crucified, Jesus was, had our names on his shoulders. He bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders. As they pierced his hands and his feet, as they rammed a crown of thorns on his head, as they pierced his side, as they mocked him, as they stripped him, as they gambled over his clothing, Jesus was bearing the weight of your sins on his shoulders. And not only that, but Jesus was bearing your weight. He was bearing your name. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you follow him, he was bearing your shame and your guilt on his heart. He was not only um, filling the, bringing and carrying you emotionally, but he was on his forehead saying, a holy gift to the Lord, holy to the Lord. He was bearing you on his mind. He carried all of who you were and bore you on the cross And whenever he died, whenever he went to the ground, and whenever he got resurrected, he entered into the holy place. He entered into the perfect presence of God, and thus establishing his rule and reign, establishing him him as the great high priest, whose rule and reign never ends. In Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 23, we see, The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make an intercession for them. What does this mean for you and I? If you are in Christ Jesus, what does this mean for you? This means that you have a high priest who is always in the presence of God, who is always able to make an atonement for sin, who is always able to sanctify you. He wouldn't just go in at certain times. Jesus is permanently in the presence of God the Father. He he always has his ear. You don't have to go through some other homie here on earth to get access to God the Father. You have access to God the Father if you are filled with Jesus' spirit. Jesus is in the heavenly places right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for you, brother. He is interceding for you, sister. Did you feel the, the weight of that? Do you feel the weight of knowing that this Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the perfect one, the blameless one, he is in heaven right now interceding for you. There's not a moment of your day where Jesus is not interceding for you. There's not a moment in your history as a human, as a follower of Jesus, that Christ is not mediating for you. We have this great high priest. And it was, it's not just some great high priest who, who never experienced any things that you and I experienced. We, we have a, a great high priest who has, who's experienced death, who's experienced suffering, who's experienced sorrow, who's seen families fall apart, who's seen people addicted to substances, who's seen people who treat their children poorly. Jesus saw all of that. He was tempted to do some of those things, and he said no continually. He was led out into the wilderness to be tested and to be tempted, and he was victorious. Though he was tempted, just as you and I are, he was sinless. He did not give into that temptation. This is the Jesus that you have, Christian, in heaven interceding for you and mediating with you. That should change the way that you pray. 
That should change the way that you read the scriptures. That should change the way that you meditate and think on the good things of God, knowing that you have this redeemer who purchased you with his blood and who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for you constantly. That should change how you encounter sorrow. That should change how you repent of your sins. That should change the way that you view others. Just like, so we have the high priest who is decked out in all these beautiful garments. And then the priest, they got some other garments as well. So the regular priest, they didn't have all that other stuff, but they still had some priestly garments. And Christ gives us these priestly garments. He has purchased us with his blood, robes of righteousness. We are made into this nation, this kingdom of, of priests. We're not high priests, but we are priests. We're, Jesus is calling us to live on mission with him. Jesus is calling us to do ministry with him. Jesus is called, calling us to go out and to, and to pray, go out and to take care of other people, to go out and if, preach the good news that God's kingdom has come and it's going to come again fully one day. This is what we are brought into. We are like Christ in this sense of where we, we are being brought into this priesthood. And Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our example. That should stir up our affections to sing. So we're going we're gonna to end our sermon today and we're, we're going to take part in, in communion and in reminding ourselves of the goodness of Christ, that he is our high priest, that he intercedes for us. So church, I'm going to pray and then we'll prepare ourselves to respond.